Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're wrapping up this year's bumpy legislative session with OPB politics and government reporter Dirk Vanderhart. We're talking about what passed, what failed, and what could continue gumming up the process for years to come. It's Friday, June 30th. I'm lead producer John Natariani with our esteemed host, Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Just so I'm clear, do you guys post the videos of this? No. Okay. All right. Because like my whole my whole situation. Are you kidding me? You're going to be the cover. <laughs> it's going to be like Friday Roundup with Dirk. And it's just going to look, he's been kidnapped. Will we negotiate with Dirk's captors? <laughs> and y'all look great. You look like you're in clean, light, well-lighted homes. <laughs> Tell me about the sun. <laughs> Dirk, I'm sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> okay. All right. Dirk, John, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Claudia. Hey. Hey. Well, I don't know if you guys know, uh, but for the new listeners out there, before we jump in, we, uh, well, we, by we, I mean me, normally ask uh, just a really random question at the top. So people listening can tell like who's in the room and also that we're a super serious show. So uh, the question this week is a would you rather and it is brought to us by Chef Chase over at Pasta Ficho de Hodo, who has become basically my co-writer for these <laughs> for these entire series of questions that I've done. Would you rather go on a Portlandia-style tour? It takes basically the entire weekend, so you have to go home and then come back. And it's going to go through all of the, you know, like, little landmarks that was shot all over Portland. Or you have to host your cousin's friends from out of town that are from like Southern California and they think they know, understand what, what Portland's all about. And so they already have a list of laundry of things. And one of the things they really want to do is to get on the, you know, the like beer trolley pedal thing. And they want to go through town and do like one of those brewery tours on that. And uh, they just want to do a bunch of whack stuff that you're just like, God damn. Um, but it's only going to be an afternoon. You know, an evening, possibly. I think it depends on which cousin, uh, because even even given that itinerary, they're going to have vastly different friends. Uh, I'm going to take that though. You know, I can I can make I can make lemonade out of that. I don't have to like. Yeah, I'm going to look stupid. I'll probably be going to Voodoo Donuts maybe twice. Exactly, you're going to have to go to Voodoo Donuts. Yes, that's an afternoon. I've been to Voodoo. You know, I can live through that. I think I'm going to go the other way. I think I'll take the Portlandia tour. And like, here's my thinking, like. Portlandia is obnoxious, but they did hit a lot of landmarks of places that are actually pretty cool. And I think that 
without the sort of campiness of the show itself, that'd probably be a pretty good Portland tour and you'd be able to see some cool stuff. So yeah, I'm going on the Portlandia tour. Dirk, what if it was all weekend? I mean, again, like I'm not, I know you're a Californian and I'm not going to suggest that all Californians are bad. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, if it's all weekend, like that probably, that probably changes it. But I also think I've never been on one of like, yeah, we see the brew cycles. They look really awful. And, and, uh, I've never been on one. Dirk wants, to you know, they might, cycle. they might be buzzing me around like Mills End park and all these really interesting, <laughs> like historical hotspots. Like I, I personally don't know. <laughs> I do not know. I don't think that's where the brewery battle tour is going. Dirk. I just don't like to assume, Claudia. Are you okay. on are you on Portlandia tour as well, Claudia? Yeah, you didn't say. I'm I'm on Portlandia tour, and this is why I don't like talking to people I don't know for that long. Mm-hmm. And with a Portlandia tour, I can shrink and just like just smile and nod. And so it's more about my energy. Mm-hmm. And I think the the question was phrased this way because I do have a cousin and he's from Southern California and I've complained. And so <laughs> he's been like what if your cousin's friends came over and you had to hang out with them and not even your cousin, but them? And I would just be like, no. Oh. <laughs> I love my cousin. I just want to be no, I love my cousin. But yeah, and also I'm a, I'm a terrible judgy person, as Dirk just uh, pointed out. So, Well, Dirk, thank you for playing. Of course. Yeah. You know, you, you've been in Salem reporting on the entire 2023 legislative session. It's why you're here. You're, gonna, yeah. you're like our man who just came back from war. You're going to tell us everything that happened. Uh, from your perspective, like, how did it go? Oof. Uh, <laughs> this is the thing I was saying on Sunday right before they adjourned. It's like, okay, it's f- almost five on a Sunday, and now I need to encapsulate the entire session with my coverage, and it's been six months. Uh, I think it went, like, super scatterbrained, right? Like, for the first three months, I was kind of bored. I mean, not bored. Like, the process was working. Like, the parties were getting along. Um, they were passing meaningful legislation on housing. They were trying to do all these things to incite new semiconductor business in Oregon. Like there seemed to be this tacit agreement that the voters had decided that legislative walkouts weren't going to happen. They passed this ballot measure that basically said, if you walk out, you can't run again. And that was going to be this guiding force of the session. And we were just going to get there and and we get to the halfway point and everything just flips. And, you know, the Dems are queuing up. Maybe they're more, I mean, not maybe they're more controversial legislation. The Republicans bail. All of a sudden, everything is up in the air. There's hundreds of bills that could die. Like, will we pass a budget before before the current budget runs out, our, our state agency is going to run dry of funding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that got real interesting. A- and mm-hmm. then it ends in this massive scramble. <laughs> <laughs> like what started as, yeah, what started as a pretty by the book and and maybe sort of slow session, for lack of a better word, became one of the more intense, uh, intense sessions I've covered. And I've been covering the Capitol since, I guess my first session was 2019. I remember when the walkout first happened and we were looking at it being like, well, this is just for show. This is going to go on for like, you know, six hours and then they're going to come back and get back to business. But this is just, you know, this is just sort of like a showy, uh, not going to mean anything. Surely. We we didn't think it was going (laughs) to last for 24 hours, let alone the weeks and weeks and weeks that it actually went through. And and I will say this, uh, the first, like one of the first days of session, I walked up to Senator Daniel Bonham. He's a Republican from Hood River. I found him in his office and we were chatting and, and he said to me, like, I'm not, if they, if they mess with us, I am going to walk. And I, 
and I, I just kind of like, you know, nodded and smiled at him, just thinking, <laughs> sure, like this is this is not going to happen. We all know the jig is up on this. You're like, there are laws in place, and no, I mean, there like, there are laws in place, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I, and I should not have doubted him because he was like a key. Uh, I would say he was one of the more adamant people that walked. He helped tie the Republicans who walked together and sort of keep them out. And mm-hmm. and he did it. I mean, it's just, yeah, no one expected it. And here we are. Yeah. I also heard there was a lot of remodeling and so yeah. much construction noise. <laughs> oh, just man. to add to this like 24-hour, you know, tension of, of, uh, of a legislative session. I heard there was remodeling. There was construction noise that people had a hard time finding communal spaces to work in. And like no one wanted to be in their offices or just in certain parts of the Capitol. And I'm just like, do you think people were just walking out because they're like, I don't want to work here anymore? Like after a while. No, no. I will say this, Claudia. Uh, mm-hmm. The Senate for long stretches, especially in the colder months, like there was like, I think there was construction going right under them. So there would be these fumes that leached into the Senate. Plus it was so cold that Senate President Rob Wagner, like at one point gave every Senator a fleece blanket for their desks. But there were people like complaining of uh, their eyes watering in the Senate or or getting like headaches after breathing in these fumes for a certain amount of time. So that was real. And yes, it was like, extremely, extremely noisy because they are basically trying to make the Capitol one that won't immediately pancake into dust if an earthquake hits and we could all survive potentially, which I will say as someone who has spent long hours there, like that's appreciated. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, I mean, even under the fleece blankets, a lot did ultimately get done, right? I mean, they passed 600 bills, uh, even with this long stretch where nothing was getting done. Um, I want to talk about a few of the big things that passed. I mean, at the start, the big news was the housing legislation that went through. Um, What was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the governor um, made clear that housing was going to be her big thing. And the Dems in the legislature, who are her allies, definitely agreed. They did a lot. Like, they, I think, all told, they passed $2 billion dollars in spending mm. regarding housing most of that is will be bonding for building affordable housing units but they spent like half a billion dollars you know on rent stabilization expanding shelter um helping homeless youth uh doing all sorts of stuff right like we we found out midway through the session or actually kind of late in session there was a lot of money to spend and dems really pulled out all the stoppers and, and you know, Republicans agreed, but toward housing. And we also kind of changed land use laws in some ways that are, are going to be a, a bit pronounced. Like for the first time, cities like Portland are going to have to figure out how much housing they need, right? Because we have nowhere near enough housing. So they are going to figure out how much housing they need, what kinds of housing they need. And then there's going to be this committee, this group that sort of forces cities to build that housing. You can't just say, we're short this many thousand units and that's what it is. Like there, there's going to have to be some mechanism that ostensibly forces that housing to be built. I, I don't know that we know how that works. I mean, frankly, Portland's having a really hard time building up its production right now for right. a lot of different reasons. And like, I don't know that someone sort of pressuring from on high, I, I don't know. I just, I have some questions about how it'll work, but, um, but pretty remarkable. What a huge first win. That's all. Just straight out of the gate. Everyone's like, yes. 
we're all bipartisan right. support. We're going to do this together. And it was like all hands up, holding hands, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I saw that, but yes. I, <laughs> Dirk, that's what I heard. I don't know. I mean, were you there? Were you there, Dirk? Because that's it what was. I <laughs> It was. Yeah, the all legislative sing-along was really yeah. a moment. That, uh, <laughs> we are the world, just like going on. So there was that, Dirk. And then the other, I think, huge bipartisan home run was the gas bill, which is it went from like the most, you know, oh, everyone, you know, we this is this is something that's going to affect all of us too. I mean, I guess the gas bill as well, but it just felt so yeah, and we're not going to be able to pump our own gas and like can you explain I okay, I all I, of the thinking, all of the late nights for There has not <laughs> been a tweet or a topic I've tweeted on or really written about that has gotten this I mean this like frankly, this conversation is unhinged at this point. And just to back up, like like for people <laughs> listening, uh, Oregon folks listening probably know like Oregon, most of Oregon, at least the the populated heavily populated parts, you need to have an attendant pump your gas. Uh, that is an anachronism. It dates back to like the fifties. In the state law, there's all this like really weird language about how what a danger it is to pump your own gas and how you're exposed to fumes and you could let yourself on fire and your baby might get stolen if you leave your car. And like, like really, there's just this deeply entrenched thing in Oregon. And so now we are talking about letting all gas stations have half their pumps be self-serve, which mm-hmm. I will just say, I'm just going to state my biases. Like I grew up in Michigan. I grew up pumping my own gas. I've never had a problem with it. If anything, I'm a little annoyed Uh, Sometimes when I have to wait. But anyway, the legislature finally, after all these years of debate, took this step, passed this bill. And yesterday we learned that Governor Tina Kotek isn't sold on it. And like she's (sighs) she's she is not saying she's going to veto it. She's not really saying anything except for that she hasn't made up her mind and she wants Oregonians to let her know how they feel, which if my tweet responses and inbox are any inclination indication like she's just gonna hear a bunch of like i don't know i mean people people really get worked up about this i got i i heard a very persuasive argument just today via email about how like this is something that makes oregon oregon and you know you're in oregon when you can't pump your own gas and it's this like delightfully like like modern society be damned this is Oregon and it's just interesting and kind of whimsical that we have this and like i'm not sure i buy it but like <laughs> it was stated so is flower like it was stated so well to me. I was like, huh. I never thought of <laughs> we should just add to the quaintness. We should have someone just churning butter on the corner. We should have like oh, just like someone like chucking cucumbers making pickles and just be like, here with your gas, pickles and homemade butter. Let's go. Next one. You you cross the border. Here is your artisanal cheese platter as we pump your gas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to talk about one last little bill that uh got tweaked on its way on every on everyone's way out was measure 110 just uh yeah what what was going around that like did you hear it i mean did you know it was gonna happen before it happened like yeah no so so measure 110 people should know is is oregon's drug decriminalization uh policy passed in 2020 so now user amounts of drugs are are not um it's not a crime to possess those uh there's a couple things that happened in Measure 110, actually. Like, the bigger tweak, I think, was this kind of dull thing that helped the state 
more easily distribute money to services around the state. That's probably the most important thing. The one a lot of people are hearing about right now is this law that made fentanyl possession or small uh, certain amounts of fentanyl possession a misdemeanor. And and actually, like fentanyl is wreaking havoc right now in Oregon and around the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what this did actually, I, I think there might be some misunderstanding, is it brought fentanyl on board with other drugs. So like heroin, if you have a gram up to a certain point, it's a misdemeanor, but if you have under a gram, it's a a ticket, basically. Cocaine, very similar. Meth, very similar. Fentanyl didn't have that. It was either a ticket or or you were facing a felony, but you could have a ton of fentanyl on you and not be facing any crime whatsoever. So what the, the legislature did here is like stake out that middle ground that other drugs have, where if you have this middling amount of fentanyl on you, it's like five to 24 pills, um, that is now a misdemeanor. Mm. So it, it really just, it actually just brought it in line with uh, with the other the other drugs. But the other thing we should talk about, like the, the citizens of Oregon do seem to be pretty concerned about Measure 110 right now, that the polling is like 63% of folks would like to see um, criminal consequences return, even at like they they want us to expand treating addiction like a health issue, which is Measure One Ten's big thing. But they also are kind of really worried about what's going on. So that is a larger conversation that I think we will keep having in this state about how we do this. The Democrats would say we just need to give it time, and you're going to see some meaningful stuff happen. But like, we are not done. Just these tweaks, uh, probably the beginning of the conversation more than a conclusion. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so interesting to thinking about how this came through as a ballot initiative, right. as opposed to legislation that was done by the legislature itself. Um, and I think that, yeah, citizens are sort of getting still wrapping their heads around what they actually bought when they voted for this. I mean, the, the groups that most opposed Measure 110 were like the addiction services groups that were like, this is not going to work. Like, so, so I don't know. yeah. That's telling. There are a lot of people that adamantly, adamantly believe that this will be a game changer when we get the ability to help people. The infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. this, this was a big cart before the horse type situation where we're just like, hey, what if we stop criminalizing addicts? And that was it. Yay. And then there was nothing else that thought of. Through and is like okay, but but they're addicts. Are they going to get help? Sure. Yeah. 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 So now we're trying to get that horse back in front of the cart, and it's taking it's taking a while. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, the cart's been moving along down the road, and the horses creating open air fentanyl markets. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, Well, on that note, let's talk about some other things that didn't go according to plan (laughs) in this legislative session. Uh, I mean, I think the big thing that caught a lot of attention was just how screwed up a couple bills um, that were central to the Republican walkout got sort of screwed up. Um, Big bills on gun safety, um, some sort of health care bills looking at, um, you know, transgender health care access, abortion access, um, did ultimately go through, but had to change. Democrats had said that they weren't going to change them. And at the end, they ended up backing down, I guess. What happened there, Dirk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two big bills, House Bill 2002 and 2005. The Dems brought these out and they said, you know, we were elected last year. It could have been a hard year for us. In fact, the Oregon voters sent us back into the majority and we have this mandate. We're going to pass mm-hmm. gun control. We're going to pass abortion protections and gender affirming care protections. And it, it and by the way, you guys can't walk out because you'll be giving up your political careers. Uh, and it didn't turn out that way, as we've discussed. The- <laughs> How do they 
screw that up? I'm just sorry, but like, how do the Dems keep screwing this well, up? Well, so so let's let's get to that in a second. But I know, no, totally, no, no. We're gonna. I'm just. It's just so frustrating here every year. Go on, go on. I'm seeing like six months of frustration on Dirk's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's like rubbing his face as he relives all of this. <laughs> I mean, just to walk people through the mechanics, like the abortion bill. For just to simplify it, I mean, what Republicans really hated about that is it it would have allowed children of any age to receive an abortion without parental notification. Now, it's very, very rare for a a child under 15, for instance, to get an abortion. Mm -hmm. The concern from Democrats was that if they need an abortion, there's a possible abuse situation there in the home. It's probably not in the best interest to include the parents. The Republicans were saying, but what if it's not that? And like, we just really think the parents should be involved. Obviously, there's a parental rights fight happening in the larger culture nationally. So that was their big concern on that. Um, They wound up getting Dems to agree to bring back a parental notification requirement. So parents do need to be notified if a kid under 15 has an abortion, but that can change if healthcare providers decide that this is an abusive situation or there Mm -hmm. are real concerns here. So I think both sides kind of got what they wanted on that. Um, Actually, like, and, and Dems did to a couple other things. They there were some provisions that would have expanded access in rural areas and in universities, some other things that they backed off of. But the Democrats would argue they they got a lot of what they wanted. And, and John, you mentioned transgender care. That all stayed in place. They were very mm-hmm. adamant about that. So the, yeah. the bigger concessions, I think, were on gun control, where the Democrats mm-hmm. wanted to make uh, raise the, the age from 18 to 21 to own most guns. And they wanted to make it easier to ban guns in public buildings and cities. They backed off both of those provisions in exchange to get Republicans back. But they did they did succeed in getting one measure through, which would ban ghost guns. These guns that like sometimes they're 3D printed, other times you're making them as part of a kit, but they don't have serial numbers and they're untraceable. Um, so they did that. And you know, the Dems would so so you can look at that a couple ways, right? The Democrats would urge their base to look at that as look what we did, you know, yeah. transgender protections. We got some of these things that abortion that we wanted. We got this ghost gun bill that had been in the works for four years or whatever. Um, and then like more uh, some people be like, but look at what you didn't do and how did you cave? And maybe this is kind of what Claudia's talking about is like I, I mean but but we did think okay this uh walkout happened the democrats are like we are absolutely not going to cave that's what i'm talking about <laughs> and it went on forever i mean do you think that and i think a lot of people are like what the hell why did you give up at the last minute like you had the stems are we putting too much emphasis on the the compromise beaten. that actually happened mm-hmm. no i, I think i mean they were beaten like like it, it was a game of brinksmanship where like it became more and more evident that the republicans were not going to blink or it certainly didn't seem like it and like there was a trade off for that as i mentioned there are 10 senators who very well might have given up their their legislative careers because of this we are still waiting to sort of get clarity on how this measure that would do that works but like very likely they are done being legislators for a while, um, if not forever. And and so that's the price they paid, but the Dems were beaten. And it's mm. because at bottom, like our constitution contains this quorum requirement that says you need two thirds of people there. The Dems tried to fix it with this weird convoluted penalty system when really they should have just been trying to make it a simple majority like both states. Yeah, the, change the quorum. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, Dirk, I feel like the Dems got what they wanted at, at the end, right? Um, but the one that I'm like, uh, I wish something better could have come of this was the campaign finance bills. Like, 
Right. I just feel like that was a missed opportunity. You know, Claudia, it's been a missed opportunity for a couple decades. I mean, like it's <laughs> it's always a missed opportunity. And I've just missed it again. Every year, I mean, every year Democrats come in and they say campaign finance. Like there had been some sticking points. There were some Supreme there was a Supreme Court decision that created real difficulty for implementing campaign contribution limits. That is now over. We amended the Constitution to explicitly allow campaign contribution limits in 2020. There's no question we can do it. And now the problem is that the legislature just can't find an agreement. Like, they, it, it's such an interesting, nuanced, and maddening fight within the Capitol that prevents even Democrats from seeing eye to eye. But it just gets down to the details. Like, everyone in that building got there through our current campaign finance system. They have a vested interest. They know how to win on this system. Yeah. The, the interest groups know how to use the system to their ends. And so whenever you talk about changing it and maybe creating winners and losers, you know, relatively, it gets really, really fraught, really hard. And that's why we haven't been able to see any agreement into like what should pass. And and it's just not clear that we will. And what that might mean, and sorry to be soliloquizing here, but what that might mean <laughs> no, is that we we get a ballot measure that some advocacy group puts forward. And it, it'll be like maybe like a measure one ten style thing where people are like this sounds great. And then in practice things get real, real messy. Mm. Well let's take a quick break and then dig in a little bit more on that mess. So let's talk about the drama. I mean, we've been talking about the drama, but let's like really go into the drama. I just feel like, where do we go from here? Yeah, like, exactly. Where do we go from here? You know, we passed a law saying that walkouts can't happen and gum up a legislature. And immediately in the next session, the same thing happens. Like, what next? I, it's going to, I mean, the the Democrats are talking about trying now to do, if they, to do what they should have done if they were trying to accomplish no walkouts, which is try to change the quorum. Mm -hmm. uh, I I think that some people still hope that when all the dust clears from this walkout and people see that there are real, I mean, like let's let's assume that this measure that could prevent people from running for reelection holds up, holds up in court. It does what folks thought it would do, and now these people are sent packing from office. Like there there is a contingent of folks that believe or hope that. You know, Republicans or the minority party will see there's consequences for a walkout and probably won't do it in the future, but it's just untested right now. I think maybe more likely as we have an actual discussion about quorum and whether or not the state's laws need to change, and that would put an end to it for good. Um, but there are trade-offs there too, and I think, you know, the Democrats might be in the minority again and in someday, and they would they would be facing the same frustrations that the Republicans are right now. And I, there is some... I think folks that are, are aware of that and maybe um, that's why they're know, afraid maybe, of. Yeah. That no, I don't. I mean, sense. I don't want to you hear that, but like, I, I'm sure it's not widespread. I think they'll, someone's going to take a shot of the quorum rules. Yeah. But I mean, the Democrats are not in the minority They're they, The Democrats pretty much run Oregon and yet they can't run Oregon. And that's very frustrating as an outsider who's hoping they do so what <laughs> i mean how does that do you think that they but, left everyone left triumphant they're like we did it again guys Woo! no but i also think that you're <laughs> i, I kind of think you're over dramatizing this like we they didn't they can't run oregon like they did a lot i mean mm -hmm. like the the majority party got its way 
the vast majority of the time, of the time <laughs> yeah. here. Like there were there were these really big sticking points that are big cultural fights, and there were and they they had to you know they had to make some concessions to get those through. But like end of the day, like all their big bills or most of their big bills passed in this insane last eight days. Mm-hmm. So you know I, I think to say that they can't run Oregon is probably not quite right. The thing that sort of like sticks in my jaw is just that by slowing down the legislative process for so long and having these six weeks where these negotiations aren't happening, where these sessions aren't being held in the Senate, a lot of work on bills that could have refined some of these things that could have gotten to better compromises didn't happen. And like whether or not you agree with the politics of a walkout or what passed or the culture issues or anything, um, I think that like the process of creating laws is important. And to not do that, we are still shortchanging ourselves by sort of freezing uh, progress uh, that should have happened and that could have led to a more nuanced set of laws going into place as opposed to just freezing everything and pushing it all through at the end. It is uh, very unsettling sometimes to see these like end of session sprints where you're pushing 400 bills through in eight days or whatever, because mm-hmm. yeah, they're not talking about this stuff. I mean, here's the thing, John, there, there were actually committee hearings going on during this walkout in a way that we've not seen in past walkouts because the Republicans were actually just hanging around the Capitol. They didn't all flee to Idaho this time. Yeah. Wait, they didn't go home. They were just hanging out outside like, like so high school in- kids who graduated, but didn't, didn't. <laughs> Like in years past, they would flee the Capitol because they were worried that the governor was going to send the state police after them. But the Dems made clear they weren't going to do that this time. So they just kind of hung – they they were in their offices. All they did was make sure that they weren't in the Capitol when like the Senate was going to conduct floor session because if Mm -hmm. they were doing that, then they could be forced into the Senate chamber and they would have to provide a quorum. But once the Senate was adjourned for the day, they could just kind of hang out. They were attending committee hearings like – to an extent, they were having some of these discussions, John, but mm-hmm. but no, no one would argue that the process of the last week or so was, like, good. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling, Dirk, about all of this? You seem, you seem I mean, you, you go in every year, like, what, are, are there any silver linings? Because I'm already kind of losing hope. Like, towards the end, I'm just like, I don't know if, if, I don't know if I could do what you do, Dirk. I would just be so, just like, why? Why is everyone, get out of your chamber, come over. <laughs> What is going on? And you're seeing it all and you're just sitting there and you're just, you know, under that fleece blanket. Just like, what is going on? <laughs> um, did you get a fleece blanket? Did you get a fleece blanket? No, or- I didn't. Oh, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like my role is not your role, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm there to like figure out what's going through the building, like uh, observe it and report on what's going on. I'm not, I'm not sitting there with rooting interests. I'm like, what are you doing, Dems? Or like... Republicans should be going harder. Like, I don't, I I just try to figure out who's feeling what. But I I will say this, like, you're right. Like, things are not headed in a positive direction in Oregon. Things are not headed in a positive direction nationally. (laughs) Like, we are in trouble in terms of the various parties finding their ways to their own corners and sort of duking it out from there. And like, everyone will always talk about the Oregon way and how it didn't used to be like that. But but it is. I mean, it's getting that way more and more. And, And so like, I, I don't know about a silver lining. I mean, I think you are right to to worry about the effects of this session bleeding over, especially for next year. Because mm-hmm. like, even if these lawmakers that walked out are ultimately 
banned from running for re-election. They will be around next year and they have very little to lose if another fight happens. And, and you know, I, I want to be fair here because one critique of the political press, like what it's a such a cliche in Salem that people say 90% of bills are bipartisan. And, and it's true, like, but 90% of bills are extremely boring. Like a lot of them are technical fixes or just things that like are so dull or, or common sense that they don't even necessarily warrant attention. And, and it really is like a lot of the bigger, meatier, more consequential stuff that does get some of these larger debates. Mm -hmm. um, and that's part of the reason why we talk about it. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. just like they're fighting over this really stupid bill about whatever, like, and just because they're fighting, we're going to write about it. it. It's like a lot of these bills are important. And they're things that people care about. There are things mm -hmm. that are very, very central to a lot of people's lives. That's why they're controversial. Right. I'm just happy I'm not commuting to Salem every day. Oh, God, I know. But you know what, though? That does bring, I do, every time you were just like, yeah, they're just hanging around. I'm just like, I want to know what restaurant all the Republicans were hanging out in. Like when the, the, when there, was, there was something on the Senate, like where did they all go? You know they all had to go somewhere. And I just, I wish that there was like a little camera there because I just want to know what was going on. I think that's like, I think I smell an investigative, investigative podcast. Like this thing gets a spinoff and just, it's just you. <laughs> it's just staking out every Denny's in Salem, Oregon. <laughs> Where do they go? I love it. This is a great idea. 10 diners to go to when you're shirking your legislative responsibilities. I love <laughs> Awesome. Well, Dirk, seriously, it was so wonderful to have you. I, I hope that you come back again. Like I just, I, you know, I miss you. We all yeah. I mean just just show my cards. We all have worked together. Yeah. Uh, and I've always enjoyed Dirk because Dirk gives me shit in a way that no one else does. And I just I really love it. We also used to be neighbors and like none of those things are true anymore. So that's, that's I know. Sad. But yeah, you know, it's it's great talking to y'all and nice seeing you too. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate us, or leave us a review? Our host is Claudia Meza. Our audio producers this week are Julia Fiaioni and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editors this week are Rachel Monahan and Adrian Gonzalez. I'm the show's lead producer, John Natariani. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.